stupider and 90 day fiance podcast i'm your host caitlin royce and i'm here today to talk about what tlc i guess was calling episode 11 but it's pretty much episode 10 because i don't think that 90 day fiance before the 90 days live thing really counts um yeah so 10 11 whatever doesn't really matter it is the finale what I don't have regular TV so I don't ever really know when these things are gonna start or end I just like find out when I'm watching it that next week is the tell-all wow crazy um can't believe that we're already at the end of this wild and crazy ride but I'm getting really really excited for 90 day fiance it looks like we have a couple that met one time and the lady got pregnant and now there's a baby involved. So we've got a bunch of good stuff coming our way, a lot to get excited for. But in the meantime, we have to wrap it up with our favorite couples from this season. I'm honestly kind of over it with all of them. <laughs> I'm glad that this season is wrapping up. It's just, it's been really good. There have been really good moments. But like with all TLC shows, I feel like they just drag it out for so long. And if they would not do so many previews and recaps, I would enjoy it a lot more. Because by the time we get to the drama, I've already seen the drama a hundred times. So it's hard to like stay excited. I'm sure that all of you feel the same way to some extent. Because it's like, oh yeah... Darcy and Jesse break up. Anyway, so I'm going to start out with the biggest waste of my time that I've ever uh, watched on TV. Truly, truly the biggest waste of my time. What on earth was TLC doing? You know who I'm talking about. Marta and Dia. This is what we get from them this episode. This is the grand finale to this epic storyline that has been so enriching and enthralling and so worth my time. Marta sits down with her mom and tells her that she can't go to Algeria because Dia never sent the letter and so she had to cancel her flight. He's been ghosting her. He won't send her the letter of invitation. There has been zero communication between the two of them. She thinks her kids are going to be disappointed. They're only going to be disappointed because she told them that he was going to take care of them. Like the first time we saw them, they, the producers were like, so what do you guys know about Dia? And they were like, he loves us and wants to protect us and keep us safe. Why would you say that to them? That's the only reason they're going to be disappointed. You just like gave them daddy issues for no reason. Ugh. Anyway. Yeah, so maybe her kids are going to be disappointed. Probably they won't care because this is just some, like, strange man that they never met or had any real interaction with. Also, you never met him or had any real interaction with him, so I can't imagine that it'll be, like, too pivotal of a point. But you definitely could have prevented that from being an issue at all if you had just not told your children that some strange man was really excited to be their dad and take care of them forever. I think that was a bad decision. And then Marta says, I wish that I could say that he's a good man, but I just can't. That's it. That's literally all that we got. And then she was like almost crying because she's like, I really thought it was going to work. Why did they not cut this freaking storyline? They do that all the time on reality TV. They'll like film people and then be like, oh, not enough and cut them. That's like they have full seasons of shows that they've never aired because they just didn't turn out to be good enough drama. Why? Why did they make us watch this? Nothing happened. It was so boring, this entire storyline. And I was so excited when they first came on because there was so much potential. But what did we get? We got one Skype call where he got mad at her for wearing a cross necklace. And we found out that she's a stripper. Like, okay. Great. Cool. So glad I saw that. And they could have just cut down the episodes because these the episodes of these shows are egregiously long. They are like way, way, way longer than they need to be. Again, it's just like the thing with Abby on the 90 Day Fiance live thing. They did not need to fill that space. They genuinely, they didn't need to. They could have just let it go. 
But TLC apparently has issues with letting things go. They have to show us every second of everything that they film. So cool. I wonder if they, I wonder if Marta's even going to be at the tell-all. Like she shouldn't be. I don't care. No one has any questions for her. Like, ugh. Okay. What a waste of time. Moving right along, let's talk about Rachel and John. The, well, I was about to say the only wedding that we got to see, but it's one of two because we saw Paul and Carini. It's just that that feels like a lifetime ago because they had so much happen after they got married. So we open up with John feeding Lucy and Rachel's talking about how nice it is that they're a family again. And I really wonder how Rachel's other daughter, Ella, feels about the fact that Rachel never even mentions her when she's in England. Usually when we see a parent that is away from their child in another country, they'll say stuff where they're like, oh, you know, this is great, but I really wish my daughter was here. Or like, it's amazing that Lucy's getting this bonding time with John. I just wish that Ella was here to talk to John. And like, Maybe there's some, because I know they can't show Ella on film, which is great. They shouldn't put kids on reality TV. So maybe there's something where, like, she's not really allowed to talk to her, talk about her, I mean. But if that's the case, then they should have made that clear at the beginning and just said, like, yeah, I have another daughter, but because of the custody arrangement, I'm not allowed to talk about her and then just never talk about it again. Except, you know, like, when the custody stuff comes up. But this is just, like, this just makes her sound kind of like a, bad mom because she's always talking about like oh yeah we're a family now this is amazing she has another daughter that's not there so you shouldn't feel like a family when your oldest daughter is on the other side of the world I don't know I just feel really bad for Ella maybe it's some sort of editing thing or something I don't know Hopefully. Hopefully Ella doesn't feel like straight up chopped liver back at her dad's house, not enjoying like the beautiful, beautiful views that they get in England all the time. But they're still talking about all this dumb ex stuff. The fact that he's bringing the ex to the dinner and the conversation that he had with his ex where he said that he loved her when they were together. Like, oh, shocking. Whatever. And they're going to get their wedding bands. Here's where we find out that John doesn't want to wear a ring. And he keeps asking the store clerk, like, is it common for men to wear rings? And the guy's like, yeah. And John's like, well, how many men's rings do you usually sell? And the guy is like, every time I sell a women's wedding band, I sell a men's wedding band. And he's like, really, really? But is it common? (laughs) Like, yes, John, you have to wear a wedding ring. You chose to get engaged. Also, though, I, oh, okay, real quick, before I get into that, I think John may have been drunk in the ring store. He was kind of, like, swaying a little bit, and his eyes looked super glassy, and that would kind of explain to me why he was, like, so freaking out about having to wear a wedding ring, because it really didn't make any sense. Like, he's an adult man. He knows that married men have to wear wedding rings. Surely, surely he is like, because he was saying like, well, none of my friends are engaged, but like, you don't have to have friends that are married in order to know that men wear wedding rings. Like that's just on every movie or TV show ever. And I'm sorry, my bed is like kind of broken because they sent me the wrong part when I got it from Wayfair. So if you hear that awful creaking sound, I'm really sorry. I wish it wasn't happening too. I just haven't had time to fix it with the replacement part. So yeah, I have a really hard life. But anyway, Rachel's like, that ring is me on a finger. I need John to wear the ring. And John says he's never even been to a wedding. Who is this man? Where did he come from? I don't understand his life. All he does is go to bars, apparently, and, like, work doing that awful thing. I feel like he said he worked at, like, a sewage treatment plant. Or maybe it was, like, a garbage something. Something that smells bad. I remember that very distinctly. Rachel is obviously really insistent that she wants him to wear a wedding ring because they're going to live on different continents. So, of course, it's important to her that he wear a wedding ring so that, like, anyone knows that he's married. And, of course, John doesn't want to wear a wedding ring because John wants to keep, like, screwing other girls. Let's be honest. 
John wants to keep going to bars, getting too drunk and having one night stands. And he knows that he can do that when Rachel's in America. Now, here's the part that I think is dumb is like, why are you pitching a fit right now in the ring store? She's going to be in America. She's not going to know if you're wearing the ring or not. Honestly, I mean, I know that's really cynical, but yeah, he doesn't really have to wear the ring. So there's no reason to like involve her in this freak out that he's having. He should just pretend to be cool with it and then not wear it. I know I'm like advocating for lying right now, but I just I'm like thinking from his perspective, what's the smartest thing to do? And he's like going to turn this into an argument when it doesn't need to be one. If he really, really doesn't want to wear the ring. Or here's a thought. Don't get married if you don't want commitment. Don't get married if you don't want people to know that you're married. The purpose of getting married is so that like the law and everyone knows that you are with someone forever. So I just don't know what John is doing. <laughs> I really don't. Um, But it reminded me of when John asked if he should squeeze the baby to burp her. Because I have no idea how he has gotten to his ripe old age of what, like 34, 36, and has not realized that men wear wedding bands when they get married. He's a lunatic. So now we're on to the next scene with them. And they're teaching Lucy to walk, which is sweet. She's getting so big compared to how big she was at the beginning of the season. A lot of time has passed in baby time. Babies grow so fast, it's like freakish. So Rachel's still freaked out that John doesn't want to wear a wedding ring. But John has even more things to tell her. John says he has to tell something, tell her something important before they get married. And he's nervous too. And then we find out that... He quit his job in order to get this week off so that he could get married. Like, he couldn't get time off, so he had to just quit. Okay, I think that's kind of weird. I wonder if that's true or if he happened to get fired and he was like, oh, I'll just tell her that I did it for the wedding so she won't complain. Because I just don't know. I mean... I know it's really, really hard when you're working like an entry level or minimum wage position. I know that a lot of times workers in those environments get really badly abused and like don't get the time off that they deserve. So I'm not really denying that that's possible, but it just seems to me like if you told your boss with enough advance notice, like, hey, I'm getting married, I need a week off. He's not even asking for like time off for a honeymoon or whatever. I just don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that he just got fired and is telling Rachel that he quit. Seems like the kind of thing that he would do. And she's like, well, we're both paycheck to paycheck. So I wish that you weren't unemployed. And he decided to tell her this while he was making scrambled eggs, which I thought was really funny because it's so easy to burn scrambled eggs. So it makes sense that he would do it then because they can't get into a big fight because he has to take care of the eggs. So she says, are you going to find another one? And he says, yeah, I'm going to. Which made me wonder, like, why is that the question? Like, I would assume if the person that I was engaged to told me that they quit their job, I would just assume that they were going to get another one. Um, but yeah, I guess that's not an assumption that Rachel can make, knowing John's work ethic and all that good stuff. And he says, I want to find a job, but Rachel, what you need to understand is I'm in debt. I have, I have a student loan that takes out from my wages if I'm employed. So basically what he's saying here is that his wages get garnished for his student loan, which really, really sucks. I don't think they do that here in the U.S. If they do, I'm in big trouble. But I don't think they garnish wages for paycheck or for student loans here. That's really, that's bad for him. I feel bad for him. Um... So it sounds like he might just stay unemployed so that he doesn't have to pay his student loans, which is kind of 
backwards, but I know people do that. Like we talked about that in some of my uh, classes in law school about how people will try to avoid paying debts by remaining unemployed. And same thing happens a lot actually in family law where people will deliberately make less money so that they have to pay less child support because people are really selfish and kind of shitty sometimes. And they would rather be unemployed and deal with that than give their children money that they need for, like, essentials. But that's okay. That's that's a topic for another time. He tells her that he owes $50,000. Or, well, the equivalent. I think he says it's 30,000 pounds, 50,000 USD. And as a law student... <laughs> That does not sound so bad, sir. I think you will be fine. But I, it made me wonder if maybe he didn't finish school because that would be terrible. I can't imagine having student loans and like not even finishing your degree. It would just be such a burden to have to pay all of that. And he says that he makes $700 a month. I think that was USD again, or it might have been 700 pounds. Um, from renting the rooms out so he can afford to pay for Lucy's daycare. Rachel is like freaking out about all of this stuff, which I thought was weird because like, does Rachel not have any debt? I don't know, $50,000 in student loans. I mean, if it was credit card debt or gambling debt, you know, like some sort of bad debt, that would be one thing. But student loans are like pretty reasonable. I think most people have student loans these days. So I don't really know why she's freaking out so bad. I want to know more about what John did for school and why he has that much debt and such a bad job. I shouldn't say bad. Such a low-paying job. Um, but that happens a lot. I mean, the job market can be hard. And depending on what you major in, sometimes there aren't a lot of jobs in the field. So I'm not going to judge him too bad for that. I just don't know if he finish school so now they're getting really snippy with each other because she's super she's getting like more and more pissed now I do understand why she's getting more pissed because it's not just the student loans it's like the student loans and he doesn't want to wear a wedding band and the whole thing with his ex and they're like getting married in less than a week and I'm sure that she's feeling a lot of pressure from that so I understand why she's getting snippy with him and stuff I just yeah I don't know like I've said a billion times before, the things that Rachel prioritizes or gets upset about just don't make sense to me. I would be equally upset with him, but about a completely different set of things. So they go to the dinner and we see John's ex. Now, I was also confused about this because they said that there were going to be like 20 people there and then we only saw two people. So I don't know why they didn't show like his friends again. And it didn't even look like that big of a table. So I don't know. I was confused about like what this dinner actually was because it looked like they were just meeting that one relative of John's and his ex. His ex was really, really gorgeous, honestly. Um, she seemed really sweet. She was really beautiful and Rachel was showing off her engagement ring and his family is talking about how he's so focused now and that he's really been different than he used to be. He's like not messing around anymore. He just wants a family and he wants to be with Rachel. And Rachel says, hearing that hearing people say that John is different now because he's with me is comforting, which I don't think is great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it's good that he's not like womanizing and fighting at this particular moment. But also it just reminded me of Brittany and Jax from Vanderpump Rules, which I've been rewatching for like the fourth time because I can't stop. And just that idea of like you don't need to or like you shouldn't be looking for someone who you can change and make a better person. You should be looking for someone who's already the type of person that you want them to be because changing people is just never going to work. People have to change on their own. And I will say it does seem like John's family and his closest friends have seen a shift in him to some extent. But I don't know. It just doesn't seem like the best situation for Rachel to be in because I think that type of change takes a really long time. And I just don't know if I trust that he's actually really done with all of his partying and his craziness. So 
we'll see. I'm sure they will be on 90 Day Fiance or like five more seasons of this show. And John says, everyone else doesn't matter. Not like she does. Right in front of his ex, which I bet was really hurtful. I mean, there was a little tinge of sadness in his ex's eyes. I'm sure that she doesn't really care, but yeah, it did seem a little sad. And now we're on to their next segment. And I noticed again that they did that thing with a still picture in front of a moving background. This is the second time that I've noticed it. I'm sure they've been doing it every time, but sometimes it just seems super noticeable. And this time baby Lucy was like in making this weird face and like had her arm stuck out in a weird way. And so having that be a still picture, she just looked really weird with the moving in the background. I don't know why they do that. But it's time for the wedding. They're getting married and John looks dead behind the eyes as usual. She's talking about how this is the second time she's been to England, which I say with air quotes because I don't know. I don't know what parts of the fraud are true and not true, but I do think it's most likely that she has been to England before and that she's met John before now. I'm sure that they haven't been able to spend a ton of time together, though, even if that fraud thing is true. Like, if they were having to do a GoFundMe or whatever, like, raise money on Instagram to get to take this trip in the first place, then I can't imagine that they were able to afford too many trips or, like, too much time together. So it doesn't really change very much about how I feel about them as a couple, except that I don't know what to believe. And she's talking about how John has never seen her with curly hair or in a dress or with eyeshadow on. And I found it really hard to believe that she wasn't wearing eyeshadow in any of those selfies that she sent him. Because remember at the beginning of the season, we saw the pictures that they were sending back and forth. And Rachel definitely looked dolled up in those pictures. I mean, I'm not judging at all, but I just think that John has probably seen her with makeup on, at least in pictures. So they're at this really, really beautiful location for their wedding, and for some reason, just his mom and sister are going to be there, which confuses me to no end, because they had, apparently they had 20 people at that dinner. We've met like four or five of John's very best friends in the world, and his ex, who's apparently important, and he has like all this extended family that we've seen and heard about, so... I don't know why none of them were there. I just thought it was so weird that it was just, I mean, it was this beautiful location. It would have been so easy for them to just set up lawn chairs. It wouldn't have been more expensive. Like, I bet they would say that it would be more expensive, but I don't think it really would have been because they would have just had to put up chairs and, like, invite people to come. They don't even have to have a reception or they could have their reception, like, at a bar where everybody's paying their own tab or something. I don't know. I just, it really struck me as odd that it was just his sister, and his mom at the wedding. And Rachel just looks beautiful. I like the dress that she was wearing so much better than the one that she had on at the store. And she had on this pretty gold, like, head thing. It's not a headband. I don't know what those things are called. Like a a hair wreath, kind of something like that, that was that looked like a little uh, vine or something, but it was made of gold. I'm making it sound really hideous, but it was really pretty. And it, so, yeah, I thought it was beautiful, but no one was there. There was no music. Like, they were playing music for the show, but you could tell that there was no music actually there because Rachel was kind of just walking pretty fast across that field. Um, And it was sweet that John had his mom and sister like holding phones that had Rachel's family Skyped in and she started crying a little bit and I, I thought it was really, really sweet and I was glad that she was happy with it. I mean, it's so sad that they weren't able to go, but it's great that they were there to see it at least. And I thought their vows seemed really sweet and genuine. I I really do think that they're genuinely in love. I just don't think that John is going to be able to handle the commitment. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't love her or that she doesn't love him. It's just like he's not the type of person that's cut out for marriage from everything that we've heard. And maybe he'll totally change who he is as a person. Maybe he already has. But I just... I don't know. That's my only like real hesitation with this couple at this point is that I worry about his temper. I worry about his drinking and it seems like he's a real commitment phobe. Also, Rachel is a little 
she makes interesting choices <laughs> sometimes. So we'll see what happens with them. I can't wait to see what happens with their actual visa process when they start trying to get him into the U.S. We'll see what happens, especially with like how much immigration is changing in this country and it's getting even more strict than it was before. I don't know if they're going to be able to make it happen. So it'll be really interesting to me to see if they can. Now I'm going to move on to Paul and Karini. So Paul stayed without Karini because she was in the hospital. So he was like by himself. And he said that only her mom was allowed to be with her, like only one female family member. And it wasn't clear to me if that was the hospital policy or if that was just like a cultural thing or if it was Karini saying that she only wanted her mom there. But I thought it was so sad that Paul had to spend the night alone because he seemed really devastated about the miscarriage. I believe that he was really sad and that Karini was too. So it's really, really too bad that they weren't able to be there for each other in that moment. Um, And then we see them talking on the phone and Paul is talking to Karini and he says, I scared. I scared lose you. Understand? And he's doing that thing. We see it all the time on the show where when one person speaks or like when the two people don't speak the same language, the English speaker, and I only noticed the English speaker because English is my, the only language that I speak fluently, but the English speaker will tend to like speak broken English to the other person in an attempt to make them understand more. And I don't know how well that actually works. It doesn't seem like that would be helpful to me. But anyway, he it's sad. He's talking about how scared he is that he's going to lose her during the surgery, which is, I understand why he's scared. I don't know if that's the most supportive thing to say in the moment, because I'm sure that Karini's really scared too. So just being like, I'm so scared you're going to die doesn't necessarily seem like the most helpful thing for your husband to say, but whatever. He's doing the best he can. Um... And he says there could be really serious complications from the procedure. And I wish that they would explain what the procedure is. Like, obviously, it's to help her get through the miscarriage and help with all of that. But, yeah, I'm curious to know exactly what the procedure is, that it's an overnight visit. And I think they said that they were going to do something to help prevent the the genetic issue from happening again if she were to get pregnant again. So it's probably a more involved surgery than what would typically happen with a miscarriage. Um, but then we find out that the procedure was a success. So that's really, really good. I'm really glad that she got through that okay. I think she's a sweet girl. And so I'm glad that she at least had that. It. I know she's struggling with the miscarriage we see later on. So Paul's trying to cheer her up, and he does that by hanging a black gingham tablecloth outside like a like a weird awning. I didn't really understand what he was doing. But then she walks in, and it was actually really sweet because he got her tons of flowers and all these weird stuffed animals that she loves so much. He really knows his lady, and she seemed, you know, appreciative I mean, she's not gonna seem happy right now, but I thought it was sweet that he made the effort to do that for her. And then they're interviewing Karini and I was, it was so sad because she said, I just want him to know wherever he is that we love him very much and I won't ever forget him. And uh, that's like so hard to hear just knowing what she's been through in the past few months and knowing how hard, even just knowing how difficult their marriage has been. And then for her to have to go through this on top of that and all of the hormone changes and things that happen when you have a miscarriage. It's just really, really sad. And now we find out that Paul has some really bad news. I was really pretty upset with Paul, and I don't know what options he had at this moment, but he basically, and maybe it was an editing thing too, but it looks like she comes home and he basically immediately chooses to say, that they have no more money and he has to go back to the U.S. Like the second she walks through the door, it looked like. I don't know why. I don't know why he needed to say it right then. I mean, I guess if he was like leaving the next day, but it just none of it made sense to me, like why they ran out of money. I guess I mean, it makes sense that 
he had to pay her medical bills. I'm sure it was super expensive. And I, but I don't know why they couldn't do a payment plan for one thing. And then I don't know why, because it seems to me like if you run out of money, you're going to need a cheap plane ticket home. So I don't know why you would get one like the next day, because it seems to me like her family and his family should be able to wire them some money or something like just to help them through for like a week or something so that he can be with her and then fly back. Like, I can't imagine that it would be too expensive for him to just be there with her while she's recovering and then leave. And maybe again, maybe it's an editing thing and he was there for longer and there just like wasn't anything interesting to show. So they kind of like warped the time, uh, the time frame. They do that a lot, the timeline. But yeah, I, I mean, I hope that's what happened. I hope that he didn't just turn around and leave because I can't imagine how hard that would be for her. She was like crying a ton and it was really sad. In the next scene, we just got a nice little glimpse into their terrifying hoarder's nest. It looks like Paul was packing, so maybe that's why there was so much stuff everywhere. But there were just piles and piles of clothes and stuffed animals and craziness and his like tubs were just, I don't know. I'm not a very tidy person, but that type of like hoardery looking piles of stuff really stresses me out. So hopefully it was just because he was packing and that's not how they were living. But yeah, he said he's heading back for only a few months to get some more money. I still don't know why. I mean, they haven't really addressed when and how Karini's going to go to the U.S., if that's even the plan. I don't know why he's staying with her instead of just bringing her back with him. But whatever. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't get that. And they, I really don't think that they've explained it at all because I've been listening. So unless I missed it one time and they only said it one time, I just, I don't get what their plan is. And she is scared that he's not going to come back because they've had such a hard, hard time, which I just think is the least of her worries because his ex had to get a restraining order. I don't think he's going to leave her alone until she absolutely makes him using the full force of the law. That's just my impression. I could be dead wrong, but I, that's the definitely the vibe that his criminal record puts out there and the fact that like she's the one that wants a divorce. He doesn't want a divorce. So I don't really know why she's scared that he's not coming back. But but, you know, humans aren't always rational, especially not when they're going through like a major tragedy and a big life change. So I'm not going to judge her for that at all. Now I'm going to move on to Darcy and Jesse. We open up with Darcy sobbing in a different Uber because remember last time they got in the fight in the car and she was like, take my bags to the hotel and then like stormed off. And I guess she got in another Uber and she was like, I just walked away from Jesse as though she's the one that dumped him and we didn't all just see what happened. <laughs> like, Yeah, and she's like, it doesn't feel like he came here for love. It feels like he came here to break up. So Darcy pretty much just needs to be like a private investigator or something because she's so good at figuring out what's going on. Like it cracks me up that she's even saying that. Of course he came here to break up. That's why he got here and immediately broke up with you, Looney Tunes. Ugh, she's nuts. And she was like, I can't go back now. I don't want the kids this negative energy. I don't want them to sense it. If I go back now, they're gonna know something's up. I don't want them to know something's up. She's doing her hysterical crying voice again that cracks me up. And yeah, and again, pretending that she like is around her kids all the time when I don't know that that's actually true. And I'm sure that her kids are very used to the negative energy that she brings around her all the time. Like, I don't know what happened with her sister, but she did get arrested for hitting her sister. Like, this is not the most negative thing in her life. A breakup is pretty standard. Um, so then 20 minutes later, we see Jesse standing outside smoking a cigar in his ridiculous coat looking insane. He, he just looks very European. He doesn't look insane. I just thought it was really funny that he was just standing outside smoking a cigar we don't see that enough these days. I need more people to start smoking cigars. It entertains me. And he tells Darcy to stay in his room 
And like, they're just crazy. I don't know what's going on. Like Darcy is pretending that she can't go back to Connecticut. Jesse's like, it's just ridiculous, guys. Like, just be done with each other. Stop talking. Enough is enough. And he's like, um, Darcy, are you okay? I can like help you get upstairs because she's sobbing and ridiculous. And then she's like, it's too late to travel right now. So she gives like 500 different excuses for why she's not going back to Connecticut. She doesn't want her daughters to sense her negative energy. She doesn't. It's too late to travel. And I don't know. I feel like she said more. But those like, OK, anytime somebody gives more than one excuse for something, it's like, OK, well, you're probably lying. So he's like, I'm just he was like, I'm bringing your bags out upstairs just out of love. I'm so sick. I don't want to hear either of these people use the word love ever again. They overuse it like nothing I've ever seen before. Like, I thought he was coming here in the name of love. I'm moving your bags just out of love. Oh, I love like they just it's too much. It's too much. I don't know why it rubs me the wrong way, but I'm just sick of them talking about like, I thought he was coming here in love and light and happiness and peace. And he's like, I only want love for her and happiness and peace. like just they're so corny, but they're also so crazy. And it just feels so disingenuous. That's what it is. It's just like, OK, you guys know that there's no love going on here, right? Like that this is just a ridiculous, abusive, messy relationship. Whatever. Relationships can make you crazy, I guess. And then Darcy says, he's tried to control everything in this relationship. He's not going to control this breakup. I just want closure and to be done. Then leave. Like, I don't get it. She's just going to keep poking at this thing. And I'm sure that there was some producer involvement and that they wanted more blow up so that they would have a better finale, whatever. But like... If you want control of the situation and you want to be done, then just walk away. Don't don't engage with this situation. Don't go talk to him. You know what to expect from him. You know that he's just going to act crazy. He's going to insult you. He's going to make you feel bad. You're going to cry and then he's going to leave. Like you're not going to have control in this situation. <laughs> OK, so then we're on to their next segment. And... She's like, am I staying here or you? And he's like, I just brought your bags here. And she's like, I'm going to have some fun in here. See, I'm not going to let this get me down. And he's like, I'm very confused. I don't know. I can never have a good conversation with you. And she's like, really? I can't have a good conversation with you. And then they start talking about the shoe throwing thing. And she's like telling now she's saying she never threw a shoe, which she already said that she did, but that she didn't throw it at his head. She threw it like next to him. We all know she threw that shoe at his head. She wasn't like intending to poke his eye out like he's saying. He's like, oh, you now he's saying she hit him in the eye, which before he was like, she almost hit me in the eye. So they're both just liars. They both just make stuff up. But he's like, I got a trauma from that shit. You hit my head. And. People have different responses to trauma. People can, some people can be very open about their traumas. Other people have trouble talking about it. Most people who are traumatized don't come across this relaxed when they're talking about their trauma to the person that inflicted it. Because usually if you're traumatized by a person, you don't want to interact with them after that. Like if, if she's been violent with him to the point where he feels like he has some trauma or PTSD or whatever, he's not going to want to just be like, you hit me in the head. I got some trauma from that shit. Like, that's not how that. Con I just don't feel like in most situations, that's how that how that conversation would go if he was really traumatized. But that being said, people respond to trauma in many different ways. And I'm not trying to say that he definitely wasn't traumatized. It's just my read on the situation. And then Darcy freaks out and she's like, are you kidding me? You know what? God is going to strike you. God is going to strike you down because you're a liar, <laughs> which I I love. I love anytime somebody starts talking about like a lightning bolt coming from the sky and striking Jesse down dead because he told a lie about Darcy throwing a shoe at him, which she definitely did. I wish it had happened. It would have been a great finale. <laughs> um, and then he was like, 
she's like so much craziness. It's very traumatic, actually. Like, wow. And that was in his cutaway. And he was like basically smiling, like his micro expressions. It was like the corners of his mouth were going up. He's not. He's fine. Oh, God, I just can't stand him. I'm sorry. I'm very biased in this situation. But we've seen him be demeaning and like ridiculous and controlling, telling her she can't have social media, calling her crazy, calling her an alcoholic, like calling her name after name after name. She has never called him a name that we've seen. Like she just called him a liar. But I don't know. That's so different from calling someone like a psycho or an immature or like saying, I don't know. He's just said so many mean things to her and we've seen it. And I just don't believe that she's the one traumatizing him. I just really don't. I mean, Oh, it's just ridiculous to me. And she's like, you never loved me. Wow, what a fool I am. And he's like, Darcy, give me two minutes and I'm out. And I noticed that the now that, okay, there are sirens going by. I'm sorry if they show up in the recording. Okay, I think they're quiet enough now that they won't show up. So I noticed that the suitcase is unzipped at this point when it was zipped before. So I don't know... Here's what it looked like to me, because I don't know when he would have had time to previously unpack in the hotel room. Like he got there that morning. She met him. They had the conversation. They broke up. He took her bags up to the hotel. I am assuming he took his bags up to the hotel, too. But I don't know when he would have had time to, like, unpack his toiletries. So what it looks like is that during the course of this conversation, he unpacked his suitcase and then was like, give me just one minute. I need to I need to pack. And like repacked it during the fight just to drag it out longer. And really, would that be that surprising from Jesse? Absolutely not. That man wants as much airtime as he can possibly get. So yeah, he's going to unpack and repack his suitcases as many times as TLC will let him so that he doesn't have to leave the hotel room. But anyway, and then she's like, you should have just called me on the phone. Go demean the next woman in line. And he's like, go have some drinks again. And then he's like, I'm letting her have the room. I'm just walking away like he's a freaking saint. And that's oh, they both just drive me crazy because they don't take any responsibility for their actions. They really, really don't, especially Jesse. But like, yeah, you're walking away because you're so perfect. Like you just want to be respectful, whatever, whatever. Honestly, the respectful thing to do in this situation would be to break up with her over the phone, not put it on TV and just like leave, you know, just bow out. He's act that's it drives me crazy that he acts like he's doing her a favor by continuing to be in her life and say mean stuff to her and like call her names and stuff. It just I hate it. <sighs> so now 10 minutes later and Jesse is like I ended up booking another room in the same hotel. I wanted to do it differently. I wanted to do it with all respect and love. I care for her, but it's very difficult. Oh my God. It's just more of the same. Like if you really want to be done with her, go to a different hotel. You are in Manhattan. There are hotels as far as the eye can see. There's absolutely no reason for you to stay in the same hotel as her. And then again, with the like all respect and love, I only want to respect and to love her because I'm such a respecting, loving guy. I just want to do the right thing. I'm a stand up guy. Just shut up. I'm sick of hearing it. I hear it over and over and over again from these two. And she's like, I'm not a punching bag. This is not what I want in a man. I deserve better. My kids deserve to see me happy in a relationship. She's like, I'm scared. I'm kind of scared. But I don't know how to leave. But that's not love. I don't know what that is. So she's finally kind of getting it, it looks like. So that's good. That's good. I mean, she should be happy. I think she should be happy on her own. I'm disturbed that she already is, like, talking about finding love. But... She needs to just focus on herself and actually focus on her children and being a mom. Whatever. So now we're on to the next morning. And Jesse says, yesterday, Darcy and I broke up. It's heartbreaking, but this is the end. I'm going back to Amsterdam. I have mixed emotions. Part of my heart is here. And he means part of his heart is in New York because he's obsessed with New York and with America in general. No part of his heart is with Darcy. He never cared about Darcy at all. And then we hear from Darcy and she says, yesterday was really hard. It was a really bad day. That was a really awful day. I'm hurt and heartbroken because I really gave it a chance and I really loved him. 
Last night, I don't think either of us wanted to be alone. He called and he wanted to come to the room to check on me and see how I was. He didn't knock. He just came in. You know, I was quiet. I was sitting in a chair. And we go back to Jesse and he's like, when I see her laying on the floor, I'm thinking this girl needs help. This girl needs support. So I stayed with her, comforted her until she was okay. And then the producer's like, did you have sex with her? And he's like, what? No. Like he like says no, but he's laughing again. He's terrible at lying. Obviously they had sex. And he says, oh my gosh, this infuriated me too. He said he was, he stayed with her until she fell asleep and she wanted to have sex, but he didn't want to. He is so full of shit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That is just like, oh, every single thing that he says, he has to spin it so that he's the hero and she's crazy. Why on earth would Darcy lie about them having sex? Why would she do that? I truly don't think Darcy would lie about that. I think she's lying about the shoe thing. But like saying that they had sex, that doesn't make her look particularly good. So and I don't even think like it doesn't. It's just kind of neutral. Like who cares? I don't know. People do that sometimes. I don't think it's that big of a deal. So why would she lie about it? And it makes total sense. Like he's not even denying that he went back to her room. So yeah, I'm sure that they had sex. Oh, it just made me crazy that he denied that. Like, just be honest, dude. And she's like, I'm not here for friends with benefits. I really just need to close myself off and not engage anymore because it's too emotional for me. It's too up and down. He won't even tell me when he's leaving. I mean, who does that? I didn't really get to say goodbye. And I just don't know what she expects from him. Like he dumped her the night before they had sex and then he left. Like he doesn't have to tell you when he's leaving. Your relationship is over. And like, yeah, he's being kind of douchey, but he's been douchey the entire time you've known him. And then he's like, this is it. I can breathe again. I feel such a relief that this is over. That is just overwhelming. I think after all the hurt and all the lies, I don't think I will miss her. I wish Darcy love. I wish her peace of mind. I just pray for the best for her. And then she's like, I mean, I'll always care for him, but I just think I just need to close myself off and have complete closure and peace. I just want to go home and be with my daughters. Next time I'll see the red flags. So they're both just like telling their own bullshit version of events. Neither of them are probably true. They're both just crazy people, different types of crazy people. I just happen to think that Jesse's type of crazy is much more like scary and upsetting and frustrating. And I have a lot less respect for him than I do for Darcy. But Darcy's totally crazy too. And then Darcy, to just really seal the deal, she's a full-blown crazy person. She says she wants to try something new and find new love. And truly, for me, it was like at the end of a scary movie when they tease a sequel. Like, I swear, if we have to watch Darcy find somebody else online, I'm going to lose my mind. I, I might not cover it. I just can't. I can't with her. It's so melodramatic. It's like a soap opera. It's truly like a soap opera, like someone is like writing the script and and badly, really badly. Oh, OK, so now we will talk about Ricky and Jimena. We have so many couples here, guys. This is it's going to be a long episode. So Ricky and Jimena are on the water. And he says, I felt as though she, as oh, no, this is what he says. He says, I felt as if though she was never going to forgive me, which is interesting word choice. But uh, yeah, I don't know why he felt like she was never going to forgive him because she forgave him within like 24 hours. So now it's five hours later and Jimena is getting a text from Ricky's ex. And they like turn on this scary music and stuff like if this were a movie, zombies would pop out. It was very it was very spooky. It was Halloween appropriate. I appreciated it. So apparently the text said that Ricky told his ex that he wasn't taking his relationship with Jimena seriously. And I feel very, very confident that the text did not actually come from Ricky's ex and actually came from a producer. Because number one, how would Ricky's ex get Jimena's phone number? Number two, why would Ricky's ex ever say that to Jimena? Like, unless she's just mean 
and like out to get her. That's the kind of thing that as an ex, you would be like, oh, cool. So they're not like a super serious thing, but you wouldn't feel the need to like contact the new girl and be like, hey, just so you know, you guys aren't serious. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me unless she's like a really vindictive, mean person. But even Ricky has said pretty much only good things about her. So I think what happened is that Ricky told his ex that they weren't serious. And then maybe the ex told a producer or the producer heard from Ricky. Somehow a producer heard and the producer texted Jimena. And that happens on shows a lot where they'll like say that they're getting a text from one person and really it's a text from the producers. So Jimena says she's confused and Ricky's like, sometimes I have to say things to not have a problem because otherwise she gets sad. And there was like a weird pause there. And I thought that was all he was going to say. And I was going to be like, come on, Ricky, you can't do that just because you think she might get sad. But then he said, and she won't let me see my daughter. And then it made total sense because, again, this custody stuff is really serious and really important. And like he can't these people that are in these custody battles, they can't mess around with that. Like family law is crazy and very cutthroat and people will just dig up dirt on you until they can get what they want from you. And it's it's not pretty. So it makes sense that he's trying to like downplay the level of the relationship to his ex because they're not even divorced yet and if she is able to make him look like a bad husband which by the way getting engaged before you're divorced kind of makes you a bad husband to your second wife um and probably to your third wife to be honest um anyway if she's able to make him look like a bad husband, she's not only going to be able to get more alimony, but she's probably going to be able to get more custody over their daughter. It's default that women get custody in this in the U.S. Like that just is an unstated rule. So, yeah, it makes total sense that he had to downplay the relationship. And so Ricky's like, I'm telling you everything. Like, really? Do you mean it this time? Because I've heard you say, now I'm telling you everything probably three or four times on this trip. And it has never been everything. There has always been more. So then Jimena says, if it's real, then show me when you leave. If it's not, then done. And I thought that what she was saying is like, okay, well, you're going to have to prove yourself to me. And until then, like, we're we're done basically but then all of a sudden Ricky is putting the ring back on her hand so I guess what she was saying is like I'll give you another chance to prove it to me once you get home but if you mess up again then we're done which I don't know why I would expect anything different as I've said a billion times before I always think these people are gonna like have boundaries and draw lines in the sand when people aren't treating them well and they never ever do so now we're on to the next scene with them. They're packing and Jimena is still upset after receiving that message. And they start talking about how they can't start her visa process until he gets divorced. And I just don't know why they even got engaged right now. It doesn't make any sense to me. Divorces can take a really long time. So it just doesn't like, why did he have to do this now? I would love, I'm sure that they'll talk to him about it in the, in the tell all. And I'm sure that he won't say anything of interest, but I would love to know, like, if you could hypnotize him and ask him why, like, why are you so worried about doing this right this second? But anyway, they get to the airport. He says he's trying to fight the tears, but I don't really see any tears. They're making out. And again, it was just one of those airport goodbye scenes where they just make out a lot. So not a whole lot to say. I'll move on to Tariq and Hazel. So Tariq and Hazel are still happily engaged and they go back to tell Dean and Dean is being his usual evil self. I really can't stand Dean. Dean is like, they show uh, Dean the ring that Tariq got him. And he's like, that's the first cha-ching that she's got out of him. What are you talking about, Dean? He got engaged. Like, of course he's going to give her an engagement ring. What do you think he's going to do? And it made me wonder if like, if there's some money that Dean feels entitled to, because that happens sometimes where family members will like, be crappy if somebody gets married because they want to like have they want to inherit the fortune you know 
they don't want some lady to get all the family money. But it doesn't really seem like, well, I, I guess I just don't know anything about their financial situation. So maybe it is that Dean is worried that Tariq is going to give her all of their money that he feels like he's entitled to part of. I don't know. So Tariq is saying that he doesn't want anything to come in between him and his brother. And Dean is saying that he wants them to break up, but that he's going to be nice so that their relationship stays strong. And now we get into the really sad part with Hazel where we find out that she is going to be homeless tomorrow and she's crying. It was really, really sad. And I kind of wanted to know what happened to that place. I mean, we hear what happened, but I was confused because I seem to remember her living with her parents in a small room. I might be getting her confused with somebody else, but yeah, I seem to remember her living with her parents in like a small room. And then it turns out that she was staying at her niece's house and that there are too many people staying there. So now she has nowhere to live. She moved in with her niece when she broke up with her ex. And so Tariq is talking about how he's going to find her an apartment tonight so that she doesn't have to spend a single day homeless, which I thought seemed pretty unrealistic, but it was very, very sweet. And I, yeah, I just thought he was handling it well, even though he did seem kind of skeptical about her, like, uh, intentions. Like, I wondered if part of the reason that he wanted to find her a place to live that night is so that he wouldn't just have to send her cash, um, because this way he knows exactly where the cash is going. And I wondered if part of it was some sort of pressure because she mentioned like, oh yeah, I moved in with my niece after I broke up with my ex, which kind of just would make me think like, oh, okay, so if I don't find you a place to live, are you going to go move back in with your ex? Which I'm sure Tariq does not want. So I think he had some pressure to like find her someplace to live. He's now he's like talking about leaving and he says he's sad to be leaving alone, but he has to get back to daddying. And then he says, but I wish it, I really wish it could be familying, which was sweet. I thought it was cute. And they're in the car and she starts singing the song that he wrote, which was sweet because I guess she liked it. Like she learned the words. So <laughs> she must have liked it. And then they say, they get asked if they've had sex yet. And they say that they haven't. But I don't actually believe that because they're just so much more physical now, like touchy with each other. And it just seems like their relationship has gotten way deeper over the course of this visit. And I think that Tariq would be talking because when they weren't, when they for sure weren't having sex, Tariq was talking about it all the time. And now he's not talking about it anymore. So I don't think, I think they did have sex. And then... He leaves and he says he's feels terrible because he feels like he's abandoning her. And she says, oh, so then like a producer, this is after Tariq leaves. And she, the producer asks her if she has anything she wants to say to Tariq. And she's like, for Tariq, I love you. I miss you so much. And I will wait for you. And she's like crying. And I just feel terrible that she's in such a bad living situation. And that, I mean, it has to be hard to know that your fiance is going back to a place where he like has a home and he has some level of security about things like food and utilities and all the basic necessities. And you can't go with him, even though he wants you to and you want to like that has to just feel awful and I'm sure that she is scared that he's not gonna that the visa process isn't gonna work out or that he's not gonna go through with it and she's gonna have to stay there where she's homeless so that's it for them and now we're moving on to Angela and Michael which this is the craziest thing that I've seen on this show probably although some of the Anfisa stuff got pretty nuts in their uh in their seasons so this is before they leave or before Angela leaves and I was just thinking about just as a concept like how crazy it is to imagine getting engaged and then just leaving the country without your fiance like I would be so miserable I would want to spend every second with my fiance if I was engaged and she's like what hell we've been through and we still love each other and I just think this is another example. It's like the Darcy and Jesse thing where they are creating the chaos 
And then they're like super pumped that they're able to get through the chaos. But that's not how that's supposed to work. Like being with someone through the hard times doesn't mean that you create hard times and then get through them together. Like the relationship isn't supposed to be, I mean, relationships can be difficult, obviously, but that shouldn't be like the number one source of chaos in your life. It's just kind of ridiculous. So then they're like kissing and she keeps saying my husband in his language, which was cute. And they leave and she's like, stay off social media. And he's like, quit smoking. Try and quit smoking. And she says, kiss my ass. And then they're cracking up. And I do still think it's really sweet that they laugh with each other just because we never see that from these couples. That it's like to the point where it's startling when they laugh with each other. So I do see the appeal there for Angela. I think the appeal for Michael is largely monetary, but it's good that he found someone that he can scam, that he can also laugh with. <laughs> um, and he just keeps pretending to cry, and you can tell he's pretending because he's just, like, wiping his face with a rag. And... So now we're on to the next scene, and boy, have things changed. So Angela gets back to the U.S., and she just found out that her bank account is empty. And she's been trying to call Michael and he hasn't been picking up the phone. So this was interesting because this show doesn't really break the fourth wall most of the time. But this time we did see a producer go, Michael, can you come out here? Like he was talking to a little kid. So yeah, they went back to the producer that was interviewing Michael in Nigeria because Angela couldn't reach Michael on the phone. So then Michael says, Okay, what's happening? And he's like, your bank account is empty? How? And she's like, you were only supposed to withdraw no more than $300, right? And he's like, okay, yes, yes. And she's like, they're saying we did 300, 300, 300 at that bank. And he's like, no, no, that can't be. And then we hear that in Nigeria, using an ATM is a little confusing. So she just gave Michael her bank card. I don't know why she didn't just have Michael teach her to use the ATM. Like, she was talking before she went over there about how she was going to be keeping her eyes peeled for signs. And they were fighting so much. I just don't know why she thought that was a good idea to give him her ATM card. Like, I wouldn't do that with most of my friends. Like, you don't give out your PIN, period. You just don't. So I don't, ugh, I just don't know what she was thinking doing that. And so, yeah, she says that at one point she told Michael to take out $300 and now her bank statement is saying that Michael took out $900. So she tells him, I just talked to the customer service man and he checked all transactions and it happened at the bank. 300, 300, 300. I'm freaking out right now. I have no money in the bank. And he's like, no, no, no. And she's like, why are you telling me no, no, no? And the people are telling me it's got $1 in it. And he's like, baby, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be. And then he's like, can they give you, like, show you the account summary or something? Oh my gosh. Angela flies off the handle and I would have to. She's like, Michael, don't you, do not ask me if I'm sure. You're the one who was at the bank. Don't you dare ask me if I'm sure. And he's like, wait, wait, hold on. What are you trying to say? You think I stole your money or what? What are you trying to say? And she's like, silent, straight face, the most pissed off we've ever seen her. She's like, Michael, I'm asking you because you're the one with the card. Did you or did you not withdraw 300 three times? And he's like, why would I take your money? Like, he's not saying no. He's just like, what? Why would I do that? Like, I know why you would do that because $600 sounds pretty good to me right now. Like, I wouldn't turn it down. It's obvious why he would take her money. And... Yeah, so she just keeps saying it's showing the ATM that we did it back to back to back three times. And so she's getting really pissed off. And she's like, I was worried about Michael using me to come to America, but to take money out of my bank account? How dare you? And he's like, let us investigate this. (laughs) She's like, you know what, Mike? Go to fucking hell. That's what you can do. And she hangs up on him. And he's like, she believes it so much. So I think there's a misconception. So that's it. <laughs> like, uh, Okay, so let's talk about what we think happened. 
I'm 99% sure that Michael did take the money. I think, you know, there were some red flags before she got there. We didn't really talk too much about them during the season, but the whole thing where he said that his dad was sick and like we never heard about that when she was there and like there it do, it does sound like there have been some lies he talks to like thousands of women on social media and so yeah do I think he took the money absolutely and I think he did it in a crafty way because taking out 300 three times you can make the argument that the ATM like processed the transaction three times. Like I think that was what he was planning on. I think he just took out 300 and then kept doing the transaction over and over again to take out more until it stopped him. And so since she was down to $1 or whatever, she couldn't take out 300 more. So then he quit. So yeah, that's what I think happened. And I think he's going to try and spin it and be like, no, no, the ATM was broken. It just said that we took out 300 three times, but we didn't actually do that. And they're going to like try. I mean, for all we know, Angela's in on it and she's going to say that it was fraud or theft or something so that she can get her money back. and, And then it's all a scam. I mean, I don't think she's super law abiding either. But yes, I do think that Michael probably took the money. I think there's maybe a 5 to 10% chance that either something went wrong at the ATM and he left without like closing out of the transaction and somebody else came up behind and did two more $300 withdrawals. I think that's highly unlikely. I also think there's like a slimmer chance that the ATM was broken somehow and like malfunctioned and processed the transaction three times. Because I've had transactions process accidentally twice and then like you have to go through and be like, no, this went through twice or whatever. Like, I mean, but that mostly happens at restaurants. So yeah, I don't think that's what happened. I think Michael took the money, but those are like the only logical explanations that I can see. So cannot wait to find out at the tell-all exactly what happened with the money and where we are now. Because I would not be surprised if she was like, well, he said he was sorry, so I forgave him and now we're getting married again. Because that girl wants to be on TV more than anything in the universe. And I think she would do anything. I think she would give all of her money to stay on TLC. So guys, that is the end of this season of 90 Day Fiance Before the 90 Days. We will be back soon with the tell-all. The tell-alls are usually not that exciting. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that we're not totally over. Maybe we will. Maybe it'll be radically different than it has been in the past and we'll get some interesting new information. But I have loved recapping this season for you guys. And I am so appreciative of all of the support that I've been getting from you. Thank you for the rates and reviews. I can always use more. So if you haven't had a second yet to go give us five stars or, you know, I mean, maybe less than five, but pretty much five stars would be great. Um, I would appreciate it so much. And I hope that you guys have a great week. And yeah, bye.